it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, It's Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! Welcome back to the Lightning Round Podcast. Jamie is tweeting from the podcast account at lightning underscore round. I am at Garrett Sisti. Hey guys, welcome back. We appreciate you hanging with us again. Season's almost over and we got a playoff podcast coming soon. We got some storylines to talk about. We didn't get any questions this week, so we'll just get straight into our storylines, but... We have a couple people to thank first. Uh, first of all, we got a donation from Junius Lim, who says, You guys are killing it. Never stop. Connor Bob says, Keep up the great content. Can't wait for you guys to start draft prep. Arvind Adapali says, Love y'all's podcast. Keep up the great work. Good job on the name there, partner. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Du, last <laughs> donation here. Awesome podcast. Keep it up. Thanks for all the kind words, Junius. Connor, Christopher, you want to do the other name? Arvind. <laughs> Arvind. You did a very good job on the first one. <laughs> Thank you for, for donating. Don't forget, we're on PayPal, of course, but also we're on Venmo. You can look for us. We're at Lightning Round. You can find us either spot if you want to donate. If you don't, that's fine too. So let's go ahead and just get straight into it. Uh, let's talk about our storyline. So, Jamie, what's your first one? My first storyline is actually that I think the defense is peaking here at the end of the season. Uh, it seems like they're finally getting... All of their pieces back. Guys are healthy. Guys are fitting into their roles and playing really well. You know, last night we saw 
I thought Adrian Phillips had a phenomenal game last night. He was all over the field, had a few tackles for loss, had a couple big one-on-one tackles in space against Lamar Jackson. Uh, Darius Phylon has been playing extremely well as his role has expanded after um, Corey Legic, uh got hurt to, to end his season. Um, Mebane is back and he's fresh. You know, he he went through the very unfortunate incident of having to be, you know, deal with his sick daughter. But yeah. after after being gone for what about a month now, um, it seems like he's fresh and he played extremely well against the Ravens. Bosa looks like he's starting to get back to full speed. Um, just seems like basically everybody except for Jalila Dye is making plays and contributing <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I really felt like that defense got better as the game went on last night, and you'd kind of expect the defense to wear down against a run-heavy offense like that. But I thought for the most part they got better as the game went on. They had, a, I think, three or four three-and-outs there in the third and fourth quarter, really giving the offense, the offense a chance to get back in the game. And I just feel like this is a defense that is going to travel well in the playoffs and give, and keep them in games and give them a chance to win games. You know, they had that huge turnover to start the third quarter where it just felt like the Ravens had all the momentum and it got them back in the game and it seemed to get the offense rolling for a short time. Uh, it, I just really think this is a group that can help win games for the Chargers in the playoffs. Um, and it's it's an encouraging thing to see because I think we've all been a little, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but we've all had some questions about this bend but don't break defense, but it seems like they're bending less and starting to make more plays. And I think that's a positive sign down the stretch here as we head towards the postseason. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing I wanted to talk about too. And I think, you know, if the Chargers want to make a deep run in the playoffs, it's going to be on the backs of this defense, you know, like you mentioned. And the defense really kept the Chargers into that game on Saturday. You know, they like you mentioned, they got the fumble to start the third quarter. Uh, they were able to score a touchdown on a short field three plays later. Got a turnover on downs on the Ravens' third possession. Uh, the Ravens missed two field goals. One time the Chargers got the ball back, so a turnover on downs. The last kick was at 65-yarder. Justin Tucker missed before the half. So the defense gave the ball back to the offense three times on Saturday. In the first half, the Ravens had 218 yards. The second half is when they really started to squeeze the Ravens' offense, and you were kind of talking about it. Uh, They gave up that broken play, which was that 60-yard touchdown to Mark Andrews. Uh, Field goal followed it, and it was 16-10 at that point. And the Chargers' defense needed to get stops. They gave up, you know, 10 points, and then it was like, enough is enough, like we've said. In the next three Baltimore possessions, they went three and out, they had eight yards total on those nine plays. It was like a playoff game. And if this is how it shakes out in January, and you know, we're recording this after the Pittsburgh Steelers lost to the Saints, so right now it's going to be Ravens uh, Chargers if the season ended today. But we kind of saw the worst case scenario for the Chargers offense on Saturday, I think. You know, they basically just got taken out of their game. The O line was relenting too much pressure for Rivers to handle. They had drive killing penalties. Wiz was asking Rivers to seven step drop everything 20 plus yards downfield. And as you saw, they couldn't get anything going. The defense has done it all year, but Saturday was kind of that reminder that this team will go far and it'll be as far as his defense propels it. I mean, uh, we kind of talked about, you know, who we would rather play in the playoffs, uh, whether it be the Steelers or Ravens. I thought it was the Steelers only because I would rather depend on the Chargers defense making a couple more stops than the Pittsburgh defense. But, you know, it just seems like once they hit the playoffs, like you mentioned, 
this defense is going to have to carry them. And I think they will. And I think, you know, with this Chargers team, it's always been on Rivers. It's always been that offense, whether it was with Gates or Tomlinson or Vincent Jackson or Keenan Allen, Melvin Gordon, whatever. A lot of times it was on Phillip Rivers. Right now in 2018, this season is unfolding. This defense will keep them in games and help them win games. And hats off the defense for Saturday because they made it a lot more closer than it should have been against the Ravens. Yeah, and just to kind of tack on to what you're saying there, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, do we want the Steelers? Do we want the Ravens? I know that game didn't play out very well, and like you said, it it was very much a worst-case scenario. I mean, everything fell apart on offense. The game plan wasn't very good. They got bullied out of their game plan early in the game. You know, even though they were, it was a one-score game pretty much all night, they were playing as if they were down 14 points for the majority of the game. 41 pass drops in that game only a, a thing i think 13 rushes for melvin gordon they only ran it 16 times for the whole game in a in a one score game really didn't give the offensive line a chance to get into a rhythm in the running game uh they were dropping rivers back seven steps trying to get the ball downfield it seemed like they were trying to get everything back in one play all night long yeah. there yep. was just no patience no effort to extend drives and keep the ball moving it was as if they just didn't feel like they could move the ball and they were just trying to push it downfield, get a big play and get off the field as fast as they could. And I don't know that that, that a second game with the Ravens would play out that way. It just seemed like the Ravens had everything, everything went in their, it, everything went in their favor for the uh-huh. most part in that game. And I feel like if you play that game again, it's probably going to be a one score game again. And I think, in a one-score game, with the way the Chargers' defense is playing, you have to like the oppor- the odds of Rivers making that one play that you need to win the game, given the chance. And you, even in last night, even as poorly as things went for three and almost four, four full quarters, basically yeah. until the last three minutes, you kind of felt like when the Chargers got that stop with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter, you kind of felt like they were going to come back. They, You knew they were going to get good field position. Uh, you just felt like it was going to mirror what happened in Pittsburgh and Kansas city. And it didn't work out that way, but I just, I just get the feeling that if you put them in that situation again, in a one score game with the ball in rivers hands, I just feel like they're going to find a way to make that play. So I like the Ravens matchup. I know it didn't go well. Um, it blew up in their face on, on Saturday. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of hangover from the chiefs game, a little bit, kind of a little bit of chest thumping going on there. Um, but I feel like it'll go differently a second time. I just don't think that Ravens team is capable of beating the Chargers twice in three weeks. I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I don't think it would happen. And, I, you know, after we had kind of talked about last week, I think the Chargers beat the Steelers or Ravens uh, in a playoff game. Uh, I still think they're favored, and I think they can do it. And, you know, we kind of saw a lot from Lamar Jackson, and it actually seemed like they did pretty well with uh, how good he had been playing as a starter, the defense did good. So hats off to them. But um, I kind of wanted to touch on, and that was another point I was going to talk about, but uh, mention a little bit about the offense and what you're kind of hearing on Twitter about, you know, whether who the Chargers should play. The thing that I saw, which was kind of a overwhelming majority after that game was pointing the finger at the refs for the game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong and it's misplaced because the Chargers made – too many mistakes to overcome on Saturday. Uh, just going over their offensive drives, we talked about how bad that offense was already a little bit, but just to kind of talk about it a little bit more and go a little bit more in depth, the offense was the major culprit 
in this game. It wasn't so much the refs. The first drive, obviously you get the interception. On that second drive, Chargers go three and out. On the third drive, you've got penalties by Keenan Allen twice. An illegal shift. you got an offensive pass interference call. The next drive, Russell Okun gets a holding penalty. The next drive, there's a false start by Michael Schofield. I mean, before halftime, there was an interception, a three and out, and then three drives that were stalled because of penalties. So then, after halftime, you get that short field. Chargers can punch it in now for a touchdown on three plays. After that, uh, again, no uh, no penalties after halftime. That's two drives in a row on the seventh drive. But Rivers takes a sack, and they have to punt. Next drive after that, legal block above the waist by Tyrell Williams. Next drive, it's a punt. Tenth drive, two sacks, a negative play by Justin Jackson. Then you've got the fumble recovery touchdown by Antonio Gates. Then you've got the interception at the end of the game. So on those 12 drives, they have three turnovers. Four of the nine that weren't a turnover were stalled by penalties. Two of those five were backed up by losses from sacks on Rivers. I mean, that was all the offense. I don't know how you can start to blame the refs. With as bad as that game went, like you were mentioning, with three minutes left, they had a chance to go ahead in that game. Antonio Gates fumbles the ball, and they return it for a touchdown. Uh, the refs missed a few calls, and that's probably granted, and you could probably assume that happens every game. But to blame the refs for this loss... Uh, again, it's misguided. Maybe they were. Uh, it was a little bit questionable, but I just don't believe you can place the blame on them at all. Uh, this was absolutely all the Chargers. It was all self-inflicted. I don't like that argument, and I think listeners of this podcast know better than to blame the refs. But uh, let's just say that the Chargers lost, and a lot of it had to do with how bad that offense played. Yeah, they didn't execute. I mean, you even look at the first play of a game from scrimmage for the Chargers— Rivers has Mike Williams wide open with about five yards of separation. Uh, Tony Jefferson's late providing help over the top. There's a huge window to pass in down the field. If he leads him, it's probably a 30 or 40 yard gain, but instead he throws an unnecessary jump ball. And who knows if he made a bad read, was expecting the safety to get there. If he just left the ball short, it I, I, I'm inclined to think it was probably a lack of physical execution, just a bad throw, and he left it short. And you got to give Brandon Carr credit because he made a heck of a play to come away with that ball. But if Rivers throws that ball five yards further downfield, Mike Williams might still be running with it. So uh, lack of execution there. You've got offensive linemen just whiffing blocks left and right. I mean, Mike Pouncey was terrible last night. I thought Schofield struggled. I thought uh, Feeney struggled. I thought Tevy struggled, and I thought Okung struggled. Yeah, uh, they all they all had their issues. So they were not protecting Rivers. It was evident early in that game that Rivers was not in a position where he felt like he could trust that offensive line. I think on the second play, the second series of that game, uh, you know, they started with a five yard run to Gordon to kind of get things settled down, and then they drop back and pass Rivers, and he. He rolls out to his right and flees the pocket when there's no pressure, and he's late finding um, Virgil Green, and it's it's stopped for a two yard gain. Whereas they might have gotten a first down on that play if he if he cuts it loose earlier. And I just feel like that was the story of the game that they were out of rhythm, they were not executing their blocks, they were just not executing in general. And if you want to point, if you want to say the, the the officials made some bad calls, that's probably fair. Um, you know the the big call that I saw a lot of people really having an issue with was the OPI on on Keenan, 
and I agree in slow motion when you see that play broken down on replay that it was not pa- it was not offensive pass interference. But if you're an official and you're calling that game at full speed and you see Keenan get full extension with his arm and then you see the corner fall down, you're probably going to throw that flag nine times out of ten, and they don't have the benefit of replay on that. So. I didn't care for the call, but even live, when I saw Keenan extend his arm, I thought, oh, man, he pushed off. So I can see how that call will be made. I don't like it with the benefit of replay, but they don't have that advantage. So I understand not liking the call, but to say that they blew it and it was awful and brutal, I think we're benefiting from from instant replay there, whereas they don't. Um, and then I thought there were a couple holding calls that were kind of questionable. seemed like they were really letting Rivers get beaten on by the by the defense. I mean, there were, there was one tackle in particular where he basically got clotheslined and got driven into the ground. Should have been, should it was a late hit to boot or no, it was a sack. Excuse me. But still they, it, they were letting the defense take their liberties with rivers, not calling anything. There was definitely some missed calls, but they did not lose that game because of the officials. And that's not, a, that's not an argument we buy on this podcast. So <laughs> definitely not. It's just not something that we're going to, that we're going to lay at the, at the blame of the officials that the, the Offensive game plan was not good. They did not execute the game plan they had very well, and they just didn't give themselves a chance to win. So they got beat, and it happens. Sometimes you just get beat, and in this case, they just got beat. They got outplayed. They got outcoached, and it was not their night, and it happens, Yeah, and it's not the end of the world. No, not at all. So what's your next one? My next one, we've kind of already touched on it, but um, I think it's worth mentioning is that the offensive line struggles continue. Um, uh, the offensive line was awful against Baltimore. You watch that game and Baltimore is known for blitzing quite a bit. They were getting to rivers with four and five man rushes pretty much all night long. I saw in a couple cases, they got to him with two man rushes. Um, the offensive line was not getting a hand on anybody. They were not blocking anybody. And it seemed like when they did get a block, they got help. They got called for a holding penalty. So there was just no, no continuity in how the offensive line was executing. And I think the biggest concern right now is you kind of expect struggles from Tevi. You kind of expect the struggles from Feeney and Schofield. But Pouncey and Okung are not playing well down the stretch. Pouncey has now been bad for probably four or five consecutive games. Okung, I think, looks a half step to a full step slow. He's getting called for more and more holding penalties. Guys are beating him around the edge. All of these guys are struggling as a unit, and I don't know that there is an answer to fix all of those problems, but it might be time during the Denver game to start exploring other offensive line combinations and see what you might have in some of the guys on the bench. And I'm obviously specifically speaking about Forrest Lamp here. (laughs) I don't know what the coaches are seeing in practice, so I don't know what he looks like in practice. But it's hard to imagine that he looks that much worse than what we're seeing in the game from from Schofield and Feeney. So I have a recommendation here. I, I doubt they'll do it. But what I would do is I would start the, the starting offensive line early in that game, and then I would rotate Lamp. I'd play him at right guard, and I'd play him at left guard, and I'd see some of Scott Quesenberry at the guard positions as well and see if you can get some kind of a mix where guys are playing a little bit better on the interior then maybe you start thinking about moving Schofield out to right tackle. Um, I just think they need to find a better combination. The Right now, the interior line play is not very good, and the combination of Schofield and Tevi out on the right side is a major liability. Yep. So they need to figure out a way to fix it, and I don't know that they can, but now is a good time to, to at least try to find another combination somewhere that might be able to give them a lift because 
if they go into the playoffs with all five of these guys playing like this, the offense is going to have a lot of problems. Yeah, they are trending in the wrong direction. Pouncey, obviously the pro bowler, but uh, over the last couple weeks has not played anywhere near it. Uh, He has been probably the worst he's been all year. Uh, I don't know if it's just the toll of the season wearing down these guys on the line, but they are all across the board from left to right have not been playing good at all. And I don't know that they make a change this soon going into the playoffs, but listen, with the way that they're playing, I would absolutely throw in Questenberry, Lamp, and see what you got in any of them. And if anybody can provide a spark, because if they can, hey, maybe ride that confidence in the playoffs. But I doubt they do that. But they have to. They got to start experimenting, especially if. And we're recording uh, before the Chiefs game uh, with the Seahawks, so we don't know the result of that yet. But if the Chiefs win and uh, the Chargers are locked into that fifth seed, why not start resting some of those starters that are banged up and let Force Lamp go? Why not try out? Rayshon Jenkins, a free safety at that point over Jaleel Adai. Uh, try Questenberry. See what you got in a couple of those guys. So absolutely, I think we have got to see Forrest Lamp or uh, Questenberry on that line this week. So I, 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 I'm obviously I suggested it, so I agree. I think you need to get <laughs> Lamp and Questenberry on the field. You mentioned Adai, getting Adai off the field for Jenkins. Part of me wonders if maybe you want to move Phillips back there and put Jenkins at his linebacker spot, at, at Phillips' linebacker spot. Um, just because of the tackling and the physicality. And I think Phillips might be better suited to playing back deep. But in terms of the offensive line, they got to do something, man. I mean, I I find it really hard to believe that a second-round pick is that much worse than Schofield and Feeney. Um, maybe even try him at right tackle. You know, if you're that opposed to making a change at guard, which I, God only knows why you would be with the way these guys are playing, but if you're that opposed to it, why not try? Why not try Lamp at, at tackle? I I think he can play tackle. He was the best tackle in his draft class by far. Yeah. When he came out, and I think he can play right tackle quite well. To be honest with you, so I would like to see that. That's where I thought they were going to play him when they drafted him, but it's time to figure out if he can play or not because these guys right now they can't play. They're both a liability. Yeah. Yeah, especially on the interior. But yeah, Sam Tevy's been very very bad too. Okum's looking a little bit too grabby. Uh, like you said, he looks a little bit too slow, and because of that, he's getting penalized because he's grabbing too often. So uh, that O-line is a mess heading into the playoffs. That's one thing they have got to fix, but uh, hopefully this week they start to mix and match some guys, and maybe we see a different lineup going into the playoffs. I hope so, because something's got to change. Okay, so why don't you give me your last storyline? All right, my last storyline, and I kind of mentioned earlier, but I'll touch on it in more detail here, is I feel like the offense— was way too one-dimensional. I think this is a storyline that we've seen at points during the season. Um, we saw it specifically in the Bengals game. We're seeing it again here in this in the Ravens game this week. Uh, it just seems like they forget what their strengths are. And they go to this, get the ball down the field, make a big play, because they lose faith in their ability to methodically march the ball down the field. And they've been so dependent on the big play all year long that when it's not there, they just don't have an answer. Uh, and, you know, last night they were in a one-score game pretty much all night long. Uh, they were never down by more than six points until Gates fumbled the ball at the end of the game. And yet Rivers is dropping back 41 times. They ran the ball 16 times the whole game. They really never committed to the run. Uh, they really never figured out a way to get the ball to the running backs. I mean, they were dumping it off to, to Justin Jackson as a bailout when Rivers was in trouble, but there was no real outside of, I think 
one or two screens to Gordon. There was really never any real op- plays drawn up to get the ball in the back's hands on first or second down in space, which is something that's worked well for them all year long. And it just seemed like things went backwards and they were behind the chains early and they felt like a six-point lead was like a 14-point lead for for the Ravens. And they just never were able to dig their way out of that hole and never get out of that mindset of we got to hurry up, we got to make chunk plays. Uh, and I think, I think their tempo was off. I think their sense of urgency was off. And they just look like they look shell shocked. They look like a desperate shell shock team that just didn't know how to respond to getting punched in the mouth. And that's not the team that we've seen for most of this season. It was just so out of character for what we've seen from that offense that it's concerning especially considering they've got to play Baltimore again in the playoffs, most likely. So hopefully they find an answer for it. They need to get the ball out of Rivers' hands faster. I'd like to, I've been saying all season, I want to see them play faster. I want to see them pick up the tempo, get to the line of scrimmage earlier in the play clock, get the ball out of Rivers' hands faster, find some kind of pace and tempo that works for you so that you're dictating the tempo and not letting the Ravens dictate the tempo to you. Uh, I just... I just feel like you're giving that defense in particular a huge advantage if they know when you're going to snap the ball and they know you're bleeding the clock down because you're not in a hurry. Gives them time to sub, gives them time to get set. And when they're set and they're fresh, they're a handful. So you got to do something to break up their tempo and their rhythm and dictate to them. So hopefully they can figure out a way to do that. But if they go into Baltimore and they play this one-sided put the ball in Rivers' hands, push it 20 yards downfield every play, that kind of approach again, then we're going to be looking at the same results. So hopefully they find they find a different way to attack that defense. And I have a feeling hopefully they'll have Austin Eckler back, and that will help with that, with getting the ball out of Rivers' hands quickly and getting it to playmakers in space. But something's got to change because Wiz was just bullied out of their game plan early in that game and just really never – he just really never recovered, and the offense never recovered either. Like we had kind of talked about throughout this podcast, this was probably the worst version of the Chargers' offense, and Wiz included. I mean, that whole seven-strip drop for Rivers and trying to get it all in one play never really works. It didn't, of course, on Saturday, and that is not how this offense runs, and that's not how it's been throughout this year. Uh, they weren't as creative. There wasn't so much stuff in the middle of the field. It was all downfield and he didn't have enough time to really complete any passes to be honest with you the offensive line didn't give him any help uh, they were killed by penalties it was a uh, bad mix for that offense but uh moving on to my last storyline it's a guy you talked about and uh i want to give a little shout out to it's adrian phillips and i think when you're moving into the off season you got to make re-signing adrian phillips a priority because he has been good. Uh, between the last podcast and this podcast, we found out Adrian Phillips made his first Pro Bowl. He's a special teamer. But his growth and value to this defense is ever-growing. This offseason, you've got Denzel Perryman, Darius Phylon, Isaac Rochelle, Michael Davis also on that list. Trevor Williams is guys that will be free agents. But even though they might be bigger names to some of you out there, I think Adrian Phillips has got to be a top priority. And he proved it again this weekend. Phillips was instrumental in keeping Lamar Jackson in check on the ground all game long. For a lot of that game, he was acting as a spy. He was keeping an eye on Lamar. Made three big stops in the backfield on Jackson. The RPO on Saturday was largely ineffective. The Chargers held Lamar Jackson to his smallest output on the ground with 39 yards as a rusher. 
He's rushed for 67-plus yards in five straight games after becoming a starter. He was held to less than 40 on Saturday. And a lot of that is to the defense being disciplined. Uh, everybody read their keys, but Phillips, man, he was the star of the show. Multiple players uh, were not able to catch up with Jackson either. You saw during the game Bosa diving at his feet. You saw Adai diving at his feet a couple <laughs> times. There were defenders out there that just couldn't catch up with Jackson, but Phillips was all over him, tackled for a loss. He led the team in tackles too. So like I've said on the show before, Jamie's mentioned it. We've all mentioned it multiple times. It is important in your analysis to be ever-changing. Your analysis has to be fluid. And no matter how much Chargers Reddit tries to tell you, we have no biases. And we <laughs> can change our opinions on players depending on their production, how they play during the season. So even though Agent Phillips has been the brunt of many jokes on the Lightning Round podcast uh, before to the 2017 season, uh, we were all out on Adrian Phillips. During the 2017 season, with his contributions last year, stepping in as a linebacker when that wasn't his spot uh, in nickel and dime and uh, his his showing out on special teams, he was very good. And we both said in the offseason, hey, the Chargers should sign Adrian Phillips' depth. But when you think about you know not only the versatility at the linebacker, safety, corner spot as a DB in nickel and dime and the outstanding play on special teams – he deserves some recognition. And so I wanted to mention on the podcast, he got a one-year, $1.5 million contract this offseason. And though he's not a starter, you probably can't go too much higher, maybe 2 or $3 million a year, maybe a two-, three-year deal. What do you, you think is a good spot for Adrian Phillips? Is a two is a three-year, $6 million deal too much? Well, I, I mean, I, I think the— He's 26, all, I believe, too. I think the line between non-starter and starter is blurred with him because he's on the field as much as any defender right, right now. Yeah. Um, because they spend so much time in nickel and dime. So I would say, even though he doesn't start in the base defense, quote unquote, I would say he is a starter because of how much he's on the field. Right. Uh, this is his breakout year. It's his first really big year. I thought he was valuable in the amount of snaps he played last year, but he wasn't particularly good all year. This year, he's been very good all year. And the defense's turnaround started when he started playing more snaps against the Oakland Raiders. He's been fantastic. So I think you're probably looking at a three-year deal is my guess. I think he's earned it. Um, that would put him at his age 29 or 30 season when he's a free agent again. Um, and I think you're probably looking at somewhere – earlier this week I said probably somewhere in the three years, 9 to $10 million range. I think getting the Pro Bowl nod probably bumps that up a little bit. So maybe you're looking at three years somewhere in the 11 to $13 million range with, I don't know, maybe a, maybe a quarter to a third of that fully guaranteed. So figure like $3 million guaranteed, give or take, 3 or $4 million. So we're I think close. that's probably what you're looking at. Yeah. I say 2 to 3, you say 3 to 4. So somewhere in the 2 to $4 million range. But he deserves it. And, you know, last year we were saying, hey, keep Phillips, but as depth. Now it's like, hey, you need this guy. He's He's got starter snaps, and he is your best special teams player. Get him out there. Resign him. You need him. So he's got to be a priority this offseason. I think he's your best linebacker. I've been saying it all year. I think he's your best linebacker because of the versatility he offers and the, the things that he can do in the defense. I mean, he was one of the – he was he was the primary reason they, they took uh, Tyreek Hill out of the game in Kansas City last week. Uh, he was routinely running down the field 15, 20, 30 yards with, with Hill one-on-one in the middle of the field. Uh, 
just basically erased him from the game plan when they ran those jet sweeps. He was the one that was closing him out on the sidelines and running him out of bounds. You saw him do the same thing with Jackson uh, against the Ravens. I feel like he is a guy who is much more valuable than even his production suggests. He's been very good all year. He's a guy who is constantly getting guys lined up on defense. Uh, he's basically been playing the Mike linebacker role in um, in Denzel Perriman's absence. So he's a guy that absolutely has to be retained. I think he and he and Darius Phylon are priorities one and two, if not one A and one B. And you could make an argument they're interchangeable, but right now I would say Phillips is the top priority and Phylon is a close second. Yeah, Phylon also having a very good game. And uh, shout out to Michael Davis, man. He looked so good. Probably his best game we've seen this year, if not ever. Yeah, he was great. Uh, he had a couple of really nice pass breakups. He was physical. Uh, looked, he looked really good in particular against Michael Crabtree yeah. on, a, on a couple of reps. So. He looks like he's growing as the season goes on, which is nice to see. He's kind of he he matched up with the tight ends in Kansas City. He was running with Crabtree last night, so it, it seems like they're trying. They're starting to find better matchups for him, and he's starting to respond by playing better, which is nice to see. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, you you were saying that you were thinking maybe this was an opportunity to rest the starters, and I just kind of wanted to bounce something off of you. Um, okay. Coming off of a game like that where the offense played so poorly and where they looked, even though I don't think they they necessarily played poorly as a team, they didn't look very good as a team. Do you think it's more important to rest starters going into the Denver game, or do you think it's more important to at least get a half of quality football out of the starters so that they don't go into the playoffs with that bad taste in their mouth? I'm glad you brought that up because what I meant was not, hey, let's rest everybody. This is a fourth preseason game. I meant as in everybody that's banged up. Keenan, who went into this game, banged up. Melvin Gordon, who went into this game, banged up. Any guy that wasn't feeling good going into that game or going into this week, I would just rest. Even if you know Keenan was able to play a full load, Gordon was too, but I would just rest him again. Any guy that was close, needs an extra week of rest, I'm letting him rest this week. Uh, no, I think it's important for the offense to get going and get a rhythm. And I would probably treat this as like a third preseason game where you can get a couple good drives in your belt. You're good. Maybe grab a lead and then bring in Geno Smith and let the uh, twos run it. But um, I meant just that, you know, there's a lot of guys right now that were uh, game time decisions that ended up playing. And because the Chargers are probably locked in at the number five seed, if you're not playing for anything at that point, and they've already clinched the playoffs seed, obviously, why not rest the guys that just need you know an extra week? Yeah, that makes sense. I've seen a lot of people saying, "Well, the number one seed's gone. Just rest everybody. Let's just go eleven and five and roll into the playoffs." And I think that approach concerns me a little bit because I don't think the I don't think the Baltimore game is something that you necessarily want to be the last the lasting memory of what the starters last did on the field. Yeah. So I think you want to get them some reps, get them into some kind of a rhythm. And like you said, have a couple good drives and then maybe you start looking at resting guys. Um, I definitely wouldn't play Eckler, even though I think they missed him against Baltimore. Even if he's cleared, I wouldn't play him. I'd like to see a couple drives for Gordon and rivers and, and Keenan just to get everybody back into a rhythm. Cause they were so out of whack um, against the Ravens. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think this is a game you can punt and look at it as, hey, we're in. Let's just rest everybody and 
will roll on. I just I don't think that's the way you can handle it, and I don't think that's the way the coaching staff will handle it. Just because things went so poorly and so many on so many levels against Baltimore, that I, I think they need to shake that on some level before they before they go out to Baltimore to play them. Yeah. So next week is the last game of the season, Week 17. Chargers play the Broncos. But you won't hear a recap from us because we are going to do a playoff preview. We're going to see who the Chargers play. We'll break down matchups, uh, where the Chargers have the advantage, disadvantage, and everything in between. So we're going to talk about all of that next week after the Chargers hopefully win against the Broncos. And that'll do it for us this week. I am at Garrett Sisti on Twitter. Jamie? At Lightning underscore Round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.